So our sermon text for this evening, and, and it really serves as the foundation for uh, the next several weeks on Wednesday evening, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, on page 13, St. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So does anyone here know what an oxymoron is? It's not a moron by the name of oxy, okay? It's, uh, it's an expression. It's two words used together in one phrase that really contradicts itself. The words are contradictory, in other words, like small crowd, okay? Or jumbo shrimp. Or non-working mother. <laughs> or vegetarian meatballs, freezer burn, airline food, no, that's insulting, I'm not going to do that one, um, loner's club, deafening silence, military intelligence, Old news, organized chaos, awfully good. And from our sermon text, living sacrifice. Living sacrifice, now that's a contradiction in terms. Uh, traditional sacrifices involve offering someone else's body in your place for your sins, the offering of a lamb or an ox, and ultimately, God's self-offering of himself on the cross, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is traditional sacrifice, offering up someone other than yourself, and it can happen only once, because whomever or whatever you're offering dies. But in a living sacrifice, the one making the offering doesn't offer the body of another creature. He gives God his living self. And since Jesus has freely offered himself in our place for our sins, it's only reasonable from God's perspective that we offer ourselves back to him, not in death, but in life, as living sacrifices. And since 
the body and the self-giving of it is visible to the world out there, that becomes our witness to the world. Now, every Christian has a body. Every believer has something to offer God, bodily speaking. Therefore, every Christian is a priest offering up himself or herself to God as a thank offering. Now, this is not a command. It is absolutely not a command. It is an appeal. That's what Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not a command, it's an appeal. And I'll say more about that distinction in a moment. But I want to make this point first. No command can enable you to do something like this. No order from above can generate that kind of selflessness. No command has the power to do that because commands come from outside of you by someone who seeks to modify your behavior in some way that you may not like. And it is our nature to resist influence from the outside. Coercion. We resist it. We resent it. No law can make you do this. But the gospel is not the law. The gospel transforms you from the inside out. The good news of God's love for you inspires you from within to return to God some measure of the love that he's demonstrated for you, for me, and for the world at the cross. This is why St. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's the gospel. Not the law. Not a command. It's an appeal. Roman numeral one. In your outline, page 13, we are motivated by the gospel, by the gospel. That is, the mercies of God. And I've got uh, a partial outline of the book of Romans for you on page 13. Uh, there's different ways to break the book down, but I found this way to be especially helpful. Uh, in chapter one, it's really the theme. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. That's the theme of the entire book. And then chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 5, the gospel creates a new status, a new status for those who believe. We were under the wrath of God. Now by virtue of Christ's self-offering, we are under the grace of God. We were condemned as sinners, we are now declared righteous in God's sight by virtue of Christ's self-giving at the cross. That's a new status. Chapter 6 through chapter 8, the gospel creates a new life in those who believe. A new life. 
not only life in the hereafter, but life, a new life in the here and now. And that's our topic for this evening and for the next several weeks. Chapter 9 through chapter 11, the gospel creates a new Israel among those who believe. A new Israel. Both Jew and Gentile alike are gathered into, into the one new people of God, the new Israel of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. And then chapter 12 through chapter 15, verse 13, the gospel creates a new worship for the people of God, a new worship. And our entire lives become a thank offering. Our entire lives become this new worship, not giving up someone else's body now, but giving up our own in gratitude for the sacrifice he has made for us. Letter B, Paul's appeal. Point number one, a command is what you must do or else. If you don't do it, you suffer the consequences. It's what you must do. Point number two, Paul's appeal is what is reasonable to do in light of what God has done for you. What is reasonable? What is your reasonable service in response to God? And point number three, and this is what's amazing to me, Paul's appeal asks far more of you than any law ever could demand. More than any law can demand. Do you know there are more than 600 commandments in the Bible? More than 600 in the Old Testament alone. But not one of them asks as much of you as Paul's appeal does in Romans 12, verse 1. The gospel enables you to freely choose to do what no law could coerce you to do. People willingly outperform what the law demands when they have the right motivation to do so. And this, by the way, is really the foundation of all of our stewardship here. You know, we do stewardship, well, we have an emphasis in stewardship every fall, right? Many congregations do. But the foundation of the stewardship is the gospel, not the law. That is a Lutheran distinctive. We want the giving to be willing and cheerful. And that can't be coerced. People willingly outperform what the law demands of them when they have the right motivation, a gospel motivation to do so. Many Ukrainians are fleeing their country because of the invasion from Russia. But many others are entering the Ukraine to fight. Now, no one commanded them to do that. Those who are entering the country weren't commanded, they weren't coerced into doing that, but they're doing that because of an idea. And the idea we might call freedom. Now, in the same way, Christians present their bodies as living sacrifices, not because of any command, but because of an idea. And that idea is the gospel. It is God's free, 
love for you and for me, not because of anything we've done, it's freely given in Christ. And that creates our love for him in return and our love for one another. Roman numeral two, we are transformed by the gospel. Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, and the tense of the Greek verb there, do not be conformed to this world, basically means stop your conformity. It it, it implies you're already conforming. Too much. Stop it. Repent of it. Stop your conformity to this world, or literally in the Greek, to this age. To this age. You know, my friends, compromise is a virtue. It really is. Except when it comes to the truth. The truth is all that we've been given to share with the world. The truth that God loves every sinner in Jesus Christ. God died on the cross for every sinner in the person of Jesus Christ. He loves all people to such an extent that he gave his son for the sins of all people. And therefore, God calls us to turn from our sins and to believe this good news, to repent and to believe the good news. That's God's reasonable appeal to us. And to compromise that truth is to deny the world the very thing it needs for the sake of the world and its well-being, we the people of God must stop conforming ourselves to this age. The world doesn't need us that way. Consider the problem of hate speech. Now, one good working definition of hate speech is as follows, and I quote, speech that is intended to insult intimidate or cause prejudice against a person or people based on their race, gender, age, sexual orientation, political affiliation, occupation, disability, or physical appearance, end quote. Now, if that is an acceptable definition of hate speech, and I would say it is, then no Christian should ever participate in hate speech. However, problem is that the definition of what constitutes hate speech tends to get more and more broad over time. For example, proclaiming that a certain belief is wrong or that a certain activity is sinful based on what scripture says is increasingly included in this ever-broadening definition of hate speech. That's true of the word tolerance as well. In recent years, there's been a very subtle but huge shift in the definition of tolerance. Tolerance used to mean that we defend the rights of others who may disagree with us. Absolutely. I'm all for that. I want to be able to speak my mind as well and not be penalized for it. But now tolerance means that we must affirm all beliefs and all activities as equally valid and right. No. 
This is the world's attempt to squeeze you into its mold. To cause you to conform where you should not. For the sake of the world, you should not. James wrote, Friendship with the world, meaning that opposition to God that's out there, friendship with that is hostility toward God. I didn't say it. James did, okay, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's hostility toward God. That's not where we should stand. Letter B. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, the, the Greek tense here is it's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing. Uh, be continually transformed, daily transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is a pro- lifelong process. In other words, become what you already are. Be what you already are in God's eyes. My friends, a renewed mind is a mind under the influence of God's Spirit. A renewed mind is a mind under the influence of Scripture. The sinful nature is still present in every believer. You know that. I know that only too well. But it has lost its position of dominance in our lives. We can say no to it. We couldn't before, but we do now. Now that we're in Christ. A renewed mind daily denies the sinful nature what it craves and says no to it. All of us know that the world is opposed to the gospel. But as our minds are renewed, we see that the world itself is in need of that same gospel. With a renewed mind, we're often grieved by our own sins and offenses against others than we are offenses against us. That's a renewed mind. It it detects the beam in its own eye before it goes looking for specks elsewhere. That's a renewed mind. With a renewed mind, you know that no matter how great your sin you are already forgiven in Christ Jesus because Jesus is a greater Savior than you are a sinner. With a renewed mind, we see the world differently than we did before. We see people differently than we did before. We no longer see enemies everywhere. We see people everywhere who need the love of Jesus. That is a renewed mind. Roman numeral three. We are moved to service by the gospel. Being a living sacrifice is the new worship of God as opposed to the old worship which involved offering dead animals. Being a living sacrifice is the true worship of God. In light of the gospel, it is your reasonable response. It is your reasonable service to God and it is a daily activity. It is a way of life.
Letter A, true worship is agreement with God's will in thought, word, and deed. It is agreement with the will of God. In here, in this space, we speak what is pleasing to God. Out there in the world, we do what is pleasing to God. Letter B, true worship must continue outside our walls, outside the walls of this space. Reasonable worship begins here, but it does not end here. It is here that we listen to words like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But out there is where we do that. In here, we listen to words like, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. Or, workers, submit yourselves to your supervisors. But out there is where we do those things. In here, we listen to words like, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But it is out there in our various homes that we do these things. In here, we listen to words like, in view of God's mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. But out there is where we do it, and every day is when we do it. My friends, True worship, reasonable service to God only begins here. It begins here so that it might continue at home, so that it might continue out there in the sight of the world, bearing witness to the world so that the world might believe. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.